Planes, trains, and automobiles. A classic. Yes, a fan. <laughs> but words can be destructive, and our relationships can be so fragile. And we're in this series talking about the one another's. It's this idea that God actually has given us guidance and how to live in this new family a new way to be human, really, rather than defaulting into destruction and the default of tearing others down. We talked about how we can encourage and, and build others up. And last week, we talked about the importance of having people in your life that challenge you so that you don't just settle with where you are. And today, we're talking about something that is critical. It's about speaking the truth in love to one another. If we can learn how to do this, we can actually have healthy relationships. We can actually grow as people, grow as this new family that God has designed us to be. But the problem is, it's hard. I don't know if you have little ones, but usually around holidays, uh, people pull their little ones together for like that family photo. And, and usually what you're going for is like a happy family photo. And I heard recently of this one guy, him and his wife took their three little kids to the Happy Family Studio, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're waiting in line, and they just know their time is limited. The kids are in a good mood, but they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they finally get to the front. It's finally their turn, and then one of them loses it, and then the other two lose it. And they started off, as all parents do, they started with the happy phase. Hey, kids, this is going to be fun. Come on, kids. Everybody look at the, the nice man holding the teddy bear. Let's, let's smile, and it didn't work. Happy phase turned into bribery phase. Hey, kids, there's a Mr. Mrs. Fields cookies. Mr. Fields, Mrs. Fields, any cookie it will do, right? If you guys are good, if you'll smile, we'll get cookies right after this photo. Didn't work. So after the bribery phase, if you've been a parent, you know there's the next phase, phase three threatening phase. You want to cry? All right, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> well, that doesn't work either. Well, the photographer is trying to keep their attention, trying to get them to stop crying. The crowds are gathering. Everybody's watching this family as their three kids are losing it. And so dad has an idea. He pulls aside the three-year-old who seemed to be the instigator, who seemed to be freaking out the most. And he pulls her aside and says, now Mallory, you're not happy right now, are you? She shakes her head, no. Mallory, I bet I know what would make you happy more than anything. If you had your baby tweezers, which is her favorite doll, would, would having baby tweezers here help you feel better? Would that make you happy? She slowly stops crying a little bit, shakes her head, yes. And he says, well, honey, if you ever want to see baby tweezers alive again... <laughs> That doesn't usually work. <laughs> See, what happens in the midst of conflict, even adults can become childish. We get hurt, we get angry, we get triggered, and all of a sudden we throw out maturity. We throw out what's actually healthy. We throw out these new family rules. Instead, we destroy our relationships for one reason, and one reason only, really, we don't know how to speak the truth in love. See, God's family rules are not to blow up or gossip or slander or hit back when hurt. Instead, Ephesians 4 tells us this. 
we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ. Or in Colossians chapter 3, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. See, we need to begin to see conflict differently. Conflict is an opportunity to grow. To grow from what may be a blind spot being revealed, but also to grow, to trust each other more. All of a sudden, this person cares enough to share with you a way that you have hurt them. Maybe even unintentionally. But usually when conflict happens and confrontation comes along, we don't handle it in a loving way. We end up hurting and making things worse. Sometimes our response to being hurt is worse than what was done to us. So I want you for a moment to think about some of the people that are in your life. They're a part of your life. You see them on a regular basis that are hard for you. People that hurt you. Some intentionally, some unintentionally. And if you can't think of anyone, we have a list of people on the next steps you can pick up. I'm just kidding, we don't. <laughs> but they're in your life. They're in all of our lives. And here's what's beautiful. The scriptures show us the path towards healing. Jesus laid it out very clearly in Matthew chapter 18. Let's read from the NRSV. It says this, if another believer sins against you, hurts you in some way, go and post on Facebook. Get him good. Point out his offense to everybody and you'll feel much better. That's the new revised social media version. <laughs> and that's not what Jesus said to do. Instead, this is what he says, Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you, may, you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. So first, Jesus says, if wronged, if someone you're in relationship really wrongs you, and we got to start there, consider, is this really something they have done to hurt me? Were we really wronged or did this trigger us? See, sometimes when something happens, it could literally remind us of pain from the past that we never dealt with. And actually, the anger and the pain that we feel has nothing to do with that person. It has something to do with something from the past. Is it possible they didn't wrong you? I mean, you really have to consider, is this a sin, what they've done? Or are you just simply being sensitive? Listen to what Ephesians 4 tells us. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another with one another in love. In other words, be patient, making allowances for each other's faults. See, there's this beautiful image of the early church. The first followers of Jesus saw some amazing things, and actually they took the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And there's kind of this idealism about the early church. We talk about what if we could be like the early church they were so loving, and yet when you read the letters from Paul, who planted many of these churches, you'll see a common theme. These early churches were filled with immorality, heresy, and conflict. He was constantly trying to help them live this new way, the way of Jesus, rather than defaulting to the ways of the world. And here, Paul is saying, they may not have wronged you. This could be something inside of you. It may not have been a sin. It may not have been 
intentional. So what was happening in the early church is they were arguing over certain traditions and what kind of food they could eat on which day they should gather together. Now we might argue over music preference or who voted for whom or if you're on Instagram and you see someone at an event that you were not invited to, that's the kind of thing we get bent out of shape. Or you might get frustrated when someone backed into your Toyota minivan and did not leave a note. And if that was you, you can notify me through the church office. <laughs> Actually, I'm just kidding. Our, my van is so old, I wouldn't even know if you hit it. It's, <laughs> but, but here's how you can gauge whether or not this is truly a situation where you have been wronged. First, consider how big is the issue? How big is the issue? Is this really a big deal? Was this perhaps accidental, unintentional? Maybe they didn't even mean it the way you took it. Maybe this, again, was a trigger for you. But then also ask this question, how close is the person? If this person is close to you, then, then you, you should step in and communicate what has happened. But let me just say this, too. We need to stop giving perfect strangers the power to ruin our day. Other people are having bad days, and that doesn't mean their bad day has to turn into our bad day. But when we are wronged, when we have been offended, the scriptures tell us what we must do if we're really wronged is we go in private. It literally says, just between the two of you. Now, the way of Christ is really simple, but it's really hard to do, isn't it? It's really easy to start asking other people, hey, is this a big deal? It, it, shall I be offended by this? We get other people involved before we actually follow what Jesus says. Before anyone else gets involved, go to that person in private. Unfortunately, we're really bad at this. Some of you may be thinking, didn't John Ng just talk about this a few weeks ago? Didn't we talk about this last summer? And the answer is yes, because <laughs> we're really bad at this. Not just us in this room, People in general, it's really hard when you are hurt not to go the wrong way, not to default in the wrong direction. So to help us see this morning what happens relationally, I've asked Kyle to come up, and he's going to play a song for us. Give Kyle a hand as he comes. So Kyle, if you could, uh, play us a song from the 80s. Is that, is that Space Oddity? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not from the 80s. Yeah, I think, I think it is. Kyle, what year were you born? Uh, 1994. Okay, it's yeah, like, that, <laughs> that... That's totally the 80s, right? That is not the 80s. No? Not at all. Let, 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 you know what? Hold, hold on just a second. Orlando, is this, is this out of tune? <laughs> I, I, I think that's out of tune. Uh, could you tune that? I think, okay, I think it's in tune. You know, here, let me, let me try. Let me try. Let me see, let me see. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kyle. Appreciate that. Thank you. That will never be out of tune again. So, Consider, what did I do wrong there? <laughs> First of all, I got to Orlando before I went to Kyle. And 
Orlando could have completely torpedoed Kyle. Yes, he's always out of tune, right? We didn't even give Kyle an opportunity to, to tune it because I went to Orlando first. But what if I'd gone to Kyle and given him a chance to tune his guitar? It's not entirely his fault that he thinks Space Oddity is from the 80s when it's really from 1969. He was born the year I graduated high school. <laughs> and so in many ways, our first wrong step is we get people involved way, way, way too soon. But then the other thing is we don't necessarily respond with love. See, when I gave him the opportunity to tune it, I didn't give him enough time to tune it, and I was irritated. And I couldn't wait to break that guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and so many times when we confront someone, we're actually going to them with the wrong motives. Our motive is actually to bring them back into relationship, motivated by love. But instead, we overreact. As a kid, me and my younger brother, he's two and a half years younger, which means he's old enough to kind of be able to play with, but young enough to be the most annoying person on the planet. <laughs> and my dad would always get on to me because my brother would usually initiate some sort of annoying behavior. He used to speak in pillafig, the three la fee, little fiddle, piddle figs. It, and he would not stop. It was just incessant. And he would talk in this weird language and I would punch him. And my dad would say, now that's disproportionate to the bad that he was doing to you. I found it to be effective. <laughs> and so really, breaking the guitar is a disproportionate response. How many times have we been hurt, but then in our response, we actually do more damage? We actually don't have the conversation we go to somebody else, we do damage, all of a sudden that person has bitterness towards someone that they have no relationship or cannot heal the relationship. Or we respond in a negative way, not in love, not to restore the relationship, but to do more damage. When we talk to somebody else not involved, the scriptures calls that gossip. Proverbs 16 says this, a gossip separates close friends. Talking about someone before you talk to them is actually wrong. It's actually destructive. It actually tears apart community. It actually destroys what God's trying to do in building a new family. So if someone comes to you and they're angry, they're upset, they've been hurt, and they're complaining, our response is simply to do this. Ask them, have you talked to that person yet? Rather than becoming a part of this chain of pain. Actually, we can end it right there. Have you talked to this person about it yet? Have you even given them a chance to explain what was going on? Often the answer is no. And they might even say, I'm just asking you so you can pray about it with me. Okay, well, I'll pray about it, but I don't want to talk about it. You need to talk to them. And certainly pray for them and pray that they have the courage to actually go to that person in private, just as Jesus says to do in Matthew 18. Jesus actually says, when you are offended, when you have actually been wrong, go to that person. But, but the other response is some of us, when we are wronged, actually just try to forget it. We just try to forget it, act like it's not a big deal, when in reality it's still eating at us. It's still inside of us, breeding bitterness. If it's hurting the relationship, then you need to have the courage to speak 
the truth in love. And you may be thinking, yeah, but you don't understand. This person is going to freak out, right? They're not as sweet and kind as Kyle, right? They, they, they will freak out. Well, here's the catch. How that person responds to the truth in love is not your part to own. That's his or her business before God. Your part is to speak the truth in love. And they may not respond well at first, but they might thank you later for it. See, when we try to bury the hurt or the pain or the humiliation or the anger, it actually hurts us more than it hurts that person. But it doesn't help that person when we're not willing to speak the truth in love. See, what happens is we begin to avoid that person. The next thing you know, we're distancing ourselves from that person. The next thing you know, we've ended a relationship with a person. We miss the opportunity, perhaps even help them with their blind spots. Proverbs 27 says it this way, it's better, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. See, perhaps they'll be hurt at first when you speak the truth in love. But in reality, if they have a level of maturity, if they turn the situation over to God, it actually could build a sense of trust between the two of you, that you cared enough to have the hard conversation. But another gauge, you can ask yourself, will saying nothing most help this person and our relationship? More than likely, the answer is no, this actually won't help them. They'll actually be in a position to do this again and again. Perhaps God has allowed you to experience this wronged moment so that you can be the one that has the courage to help them see this blind spot. See, the longer it goes, the more the tension builds, the more the irritation builds. And you might go to confront them, then all of a sudden you're smashing guitars instead of coming in love. And that's really the point of Matthew 18. It says we should confront in love. Go, it says in verse, in chapter 18. Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. See, that's the entire goal is a restored relationship. It's not the airing of the grievances. It's not Festivus. It's a chance to restore the relationship. By the way, Kyle, that's from Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> See, truth plus love equals growth, both in the person who's hurt you and in the one who's been hurt. Truth plus love equals growth. But we can blow it by not really telling the whole truth or not telling the truth in love. Remember, Ephesians 4, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. And it's important. Perhaps you're on the receiving end of this conversation to remember that this is a situation that's bigger than you. That there are people in your life who might even know you describe yourself as a person of faith and how you handle conflict could be what helps them find faith. See, as we begin to treat each other in a loving way, even though we might come from different backgrounds, we might look differently, we might vote differently, we might live in different parts of town, different socioeconomic status, but if we can learn to love each other, we can actually demonstrate to a world that's broken and mean what the new family God wants to create can look like. That may be what brings them to faith. But there's another important part of this. A family rule. You break it, you buy it. So that means if 
you're in a situation and there has been real wronging done, even if you only were 5% of the problem, own that 5%. See, in every relationship, it's generally not only one person's fault. Own whatever you can so that you can bring healing to the relationship. Conflict is almost never one-sided. But the problem is we don't want to admit our part because then all of a sudden we feel like our position is weaker. We think it's poor negotiating to admit our own mistake. But it's actually an act of maturity to own our part. Now that passage in Matthew 18 says if if that doesn't work one-on-one, which by the way, most of the time if we just did that right, we don't involve other people, we don't triangulate, if we literally are hurt, we go to that person after figuring out, yes, I'm really hurt, yes, this really was wrong, we go to that person in love, most of the time that heals the relationship. Most of the time that's all that's needed. How many of you have had moments in your life where you had an argument going in your head that was really worse than was actually in the real world? And you go to that person, you sit down, and you realize, oh my gosh, they didn't even say what I thought they said. That didn't mean what, the way I took it. So many times, this literally heals the relationship. But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, says, and if that doesn't work, talking to them, coming to them, speaking the truth in love, then go with another person or two. Typically, someone who cares and loves for both of you. Then sit down and see if you might bring healing to the relationship. And then it says, even if that doesn't work, then you tell it to the church. Now you might think, oh, is that what part of the service we are to now? We're going to start talking about the the grievances between each other? No. It it means if you're in the same life group or if you're part of the same ministry team, if going with another person did not work, then get your life group leader involved or your ministry team leader involved. And then it's this odd statement. It says, and if that doesn't work, then you treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Some of you are like, yeah, (laughs) kick them out of my life. But if you read the scriptures, how did Jesus treat the pagan and tax collector? He loved them in order to win them over. If there's a broken relationship, you tried everything, your last effort is actually to try to win them back to faith, win them back to this family. It gets even more complicated than that. We, we literally just talked about Matthew 18, which is about when you've been offended, but there's another passage where Jesus talks about if you've offended someone, then if you're on your way to the altar, you're on your way to, to church service, you're on your way to worship, actually stop what you're doing and instead go to that person you've hurt to make things right. So that seems like a contradiction. Who's supposed to initiate healing? The person who's been offended or the person who's offended? Well, I think Jesus said both because he knew one of us would lack the courage to do it. But if you have offended someone, you're responsible to go and make things right. It's more important to make things right than to be right. If you've been offended, you have the responsibility to go and make things right. Give them a chance to respond, to bring healing. Mark 9, 50 says this, be at peace with each other. And Romans 12 says, live in harmony with one another. And listen to this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We are called to live at peace with one another, and I love this phrase because it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, which means there will be some people that you have done everything in your power to speak the truth and love, but their response is not your responsibility. We're responsible to do what God puts on our heart to make the relationship right, to forgive, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. And see, some of us have people that have hurt us, and those wounds from the past are actually affecting our other relationships right now. See, we're trying to do life together. We're trying to live in harmony with one another. And it's a beautiful thing when you can work through hurting each other. Every relationship that matters will have conflict. It's knowing how to negotiate and love and staying in tune with God, allowing him to guide you into bringing healing and to be someone who gives grace knowing that you need grace. Matthew 7 says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I've asked the band to come up, and they're going to play a song for several minutes. And as they do, I, I have a very tangible next step I want you to take. When you came in, you should have been given a piece of paper. And there are pins all around you. If you did not get a piece of paper, just raise your hand. Our... Greeters can come around and help us. And here's what I want you to do. As the band is playing, I just want you to pray and ask God, God, are there people I've offended that I need to go to to make things right? But I also want you to ask this question. Ask and pray. God, have I distanced myself from someone because they've hurt me? Have I been avoiding someone because they've hurt me? And I want to encourage you to write on this piece of paper. And let me tell you what you're going to do with the piece of paper. This might help you formulate what you'll write on this paper. What I want you to do after the service, we have this A-frame over here. We have two more in the, in the lobby. I want you to write on this piece of paper the name or the initials of the person you're going to go talk to because either you've offended them or they've offended you. And our prayer team is actually going to take all those pieces of paper and they're going to pray for you this week. You can put your name, you can put their name, you can put your name and their initials, whatever you want to put, just know that just our prayer team will be taking that and praying for you, that this week you have the courage to reach out. By the way, it's always better to have these conversations. Remember what Jesus said, in person. Rebuking through text does not work. If there were cell phones in Jesus' day, I guarantee it would be like the 11th commandment. Do not try to fix things online. Confront online. But instead, try to get face-to-face, FaceTime-to-FaceTime, perhaps, if they're out of town, and lovingly bring healing to that relationship.